he's really trying to put 3% as little down as possible. And then there's people on the other end or end of the spectrum, like D- Dave Ramsey, who we were just talking about. And, uh, he's all about cash. Get as much. Yeah. Buy cash, buy your home cash. You don't need any debt. And he's all about building up and starting with as much equity as possible. Hello and welcome to another episode of Intern Insights. I'm Connor Allen here as always with Zane Frasick. And this week I have a good friend. I consider him a real estate guru. Um, he's been working in the mortgage industry for over a year. Um, Mitchell Miller, thanks for uh, being on. Well, first of all, thanks guys for having me. Um, definitely not a real estate guru, but I have been working in the mortgage industry for about a year and a half now. Um, and I plan on staying in it after I graduate from the University of Georgia in May. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you being on. So let's just go ahead and dive right into it. Um, so there's a lot of powers of, or there's a lot of power in investing in real estate. Um, a lot of people talk about it all the time, and there's a variety of different ways to do it. So, Mitchell, why? I know that you plan to invest in real estate when you graduate college and get out into life. So, what are the reasons that you would do this? Well, I think the, the most powerful thing about real estate is that you gain appreciation on properties while also getting cash flow. So if you can find properties that bring in money every month and then hold them for 30 years and sell them, and they've been appreciating for, say, 30 years at 3% a year, um, that just compounds over time and really makes it a powerful investment. For sure. Yeah. It's definitely not like, you know, investing in S and P 500 and just getting, you know, 10% returns every year. It's, it's right. a lot different, especially when you actually own the properties. Yeah. So. Not to uh, derail us too early here, but it kind of brought a question to my mind in investing in stocks. It almost seems like you need to, you know, invest for dividends where you're getting that, that uh, quarterly dividend, that free cash flow coming in. Uh, or you can invest for the price appreciation. Is there any example like that in real estate where you're kind of choosing one over the other, or is it just generally kind of like you're going to have a good amount of both? I mean, I would say from what I've read and what I've listened to in podcasts, um, there are certain areas of the country that cash flow is not possible. So you're looking for areas that look like they're going to have high appreciation over the next few years and you're just banking on that. Um, And then there's areas like the Midwest where you have to do something severely wrong not to have cash flow. So I just think it depends on the market you're in, kind of whether you have cash flow or appreciation, what the goal is. Yeah, and if like, if you go to the beach or something and buy a property down there for $2 million um, and you're renting it out to somebody, depending on where you're at, there's a chance that that mortgage is gonna take over all of your potential free cash flow. So you're just banking on that appreciation. So yeah, I think there's a, there's a few, few different types. So let's go ahead and move on to the next slide here. Um, so this is kind of another reason of why you might invest in real estate. So there's real estate that you can invest in by yourself. Like you can do it, you know, just you not doing it through any type of product or investment. Um, and then there's REITs. And so REITs are just a simple, easy way for the average Joe to invest in real estate. And you can see here, um, you know, and Zane, if you want to dive in, into a little bit about this chart, but you can see that the returns um, for REITs consistently um, annual are, are higher than U.S. stocks. Yeah, the big reason for that is the compound dividend. So REITs have to pay out um, to be considered a REIT. 
uh, real estate investment trust, you have to pay out 90% of your profits to your shareholders uh, in the form of dividends. So this is why if you're looking at REITs, generally you're going to see uh, really high dividend yields, um, three, four, five percent uh, is very common. Um, that really leads to uh, all that price appreci appreciation. Yeah, I'd be interested to see a chart without reinvested div dividends. I wonder what that would be like. I bet it'd be low. I think probably. it would be, yeah, massively underperforming. Yeah. So if you buy a REIT, reinvest your dividends. It's important. <laughs> so there's, there's a couple different types of real estate investments that you can do um, right here in this graphic. You can, you can see the different types. Um, but, you know, there's residential, uh, there's single and multifamily homes, there's apartments that you can invest in, um, there's commercial real estate, industrial and retail and REITs is the last thing. Um, and so you can, you can invest in, if, if you take the REITs at the very end, you can use the REITs and typically invest in any of these different styles. Um, so there's residential REITs, there's single and multifamily REITs, there's retail REITs, there's, there's everything that you could possibly want, which is nice as an investor that you, that we have that opportunity to do that. Um, but like Mitchell said earlier, like if you're investing in a REIT, you're not getting, like you're getting the free cash flow um, as a dividend, but it's not, it's not compounding like it would if you were to actually own it yourself. So is there one that you're more likely to want to own out of any of these? Asking for, for you, Connor, and for Mitchell. I um, mean, I, I'll go ahead. Sorry, Connor. Um, first of all, obviously, residential is just owning your own house. So I think that's the most accessible, um, the easiest way to get it. I mean, you can put 3% down and own your own house. Um, and then I think the next step up from there is buying a house to rent out to others. Um, that's the next, the logical next step because it's the next cheapest, right? No one just has $3 million to go buy an apartment typically, but you can probably scrape together $50,000 to put a, a down payment on a rental home. So I think the, the logical step is to buy a house for yourself and then look into single and small multifamily and then kind of scale up from there. Yeah, I know. What, what about, um, can you talk to us a little bit about house hacking? I know you've had some interest yeah. there. Um, that's actually something that as I'm looking to graduate that I'm thinking about doing, which is um, house hacking is basically buying a house and then renting out some portion of the house, whether you buy a duplex and rent out the other side or buy a house with a basement and rent out the basement. Um, so it gives you an opportunity to kind of get introduced to landlording and owning real estate, but you also get the, um, the ability to use um, loan programs that are made for residential investors. So you can put 3% down on a house, but still have that investment opportunity. Gotcha. So that 3% down figure, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Meet Kevin. He's a YouTuber, um, talks about real estate all the time. I'm going to be interviewing him coming up. So I was interested in like going through a lot of his videos and he is really on the side of the spectrum of put as little down as possible like get the home and then use that leverage to kind of expand your portfolio, start buying up other properties. Um, and, you know, he's really trying to put 3% as little down as possible. And then there's people on the other end, or, end of the spectrum, like D Dave Ramsey, who we were just talking about. And uh, he's all about cash. Get as much. Yeah, buy a cash, buy your home cash. You don't need any debt. And he's all about building up 
and starting with as much equity as possible. I mean, for me, I feel like I would lean more towards the meet Kevin strategy, but I'm interested in what you guys think. If you have a take on that. Well, first of all, I think that what Dave Ramsey preaches is 15 year mortgages put 20% down. And that's just not realistic for a lot of people. I mean, for a $200,000 house, you're looking at $40,000. How long is it going to take a 23 year old to save up $40,000? Um, and then the 15 year mortgages, they're obviously a shorter term. So they're going to be more expensive too. So you got to make more money to be able to afford that mortgage. So I think there's a happy medium. Maybe I would put down as much as you can afford but I wouldn't let a small down payment keep you from buying a house. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would look at it on, you know, like a lot of people look at their mortgage as, you know, the portion of their budget. So they're trying to fit it into their budget. And I don't think that's always the smartest way to do it because you don't want to just build out a, a 30 year mortgage and do the minimum down payment and, you know, really kind of make your life difficult. Um, with that payment that you're going to have to do. But at the same time, you know, if you can afford it, if you can afford a small down payment um, and you can afford the monthly payment to, towards your mortgage, you know, I don't see anything wrong with that, to be honest. Um, obviously, if you're trying to make it shorter, like if you're worried about, you know, if you put a small down payment on a house, and I may be wrong about this, but this is what I understand. Um, Y'all can correct me. Um, if you put a small down payment down and you get a 30 year, that first year, you're almost building up no equity. Is that correct? Because you're paying all interest? Pretty much, yeah. And then if you put anything under 20% down, you have to pay private mortgage insurance, which is basically a dead weight loss. So that's insuring it in case you go into foreclosure um, for the bank. So that money is not going towards equity. It's not going towards interest. It's just going towards that PMI figure. So that's another drawback to putting less than 20% down. But I would say getting your foot in the door is oftentimes more important than worrying about PMI for sure. Is it, Do you know what that typically would cost? Is it on a percentage basis? Or? It, it, it just depends on the loan program and how much you put down. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Very cool. So let's move on to the next slide here. Um, so Mitchell, I want you to talk to us about the specific reasons. Um, I know we talked a little bit about it earlier, but dive, dive in and, and tell us about why you're going to invest in real estate or why you think other people should. Well, I think the, the first reason is there's a quote from Dale Carnegie, and he says that 90% of all millionaires become so through owning real estate. So I think first and foremost, it's just a super powerful wealth building tool. Um, and I think the reason for that is obviously real estate appreciates. It creates cash flow. Um, you get tax credits for interest that you pay on your mortgage. Um, and then another benefit is that it helps you diversify. So if you have a portfolio full of stocks, you can diversify that easily just by buying a primary residence. Um, yeah, that's, that's the, the main points. If we want to take a, a deep dive into any of those, we can. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. What are, your, what are your thoughts on, like, I'm looking at the slide now and I see having a hard asset, having a fixed asset that's in the ground, immovable. For me, it could be a little bit scary because you either have to be there and deal with it, you know, say you're renting it out, um, or you have to hire somebody to do it for you. And it could be 
a bit of a time consumption versus, you know, looking at the other options, stocks, bonds, cash, you're not putting in a ton of time. Now you should, if you're like researching what you're investing in, but it seems like there might be a, a hidden time cost in real estate. There definitely is. And I think what you just said is also one of the biggest benefits for real estate. Because there's, there's only so much land that we have. You know, there's a monopoly on each house. Every house is a little bit different. So every, every single stock in Apple is the exact same. You're going to get the same dividend. You're going to get the same appreciation as the next person who owns that stock. But every single piece of real estate is different and you can't recreate it anywhere else. So I think that hard asset part of it is kind of a, a benefit and a drawback when you look at it that way. Did we switch to talking about NFTs here? <laughs> no, we're doing it. Everyone is different. It cannot be replicated. <laughs> Maybe when we move into the metaverse, um, we'll get some you know, virtual real estate. I know that's, that's a thing yeah. now. There, so there are some pretty cookie cutter houses, though. Like It can't be exactly that's true. true. That is there true. There are some that are, are damn close. Every piece of land is a little bit different. So. That is true. It's got different soil. It's true. So There's only so much. So. so some of the benefits, I know Mitchell touched on a lot of these um, with diversification and inflation protection, huge one to talk about right now. Um, Social Security just changed their cost of living last week up 5.9% to nearly 6%, um, something that we're dealing with. Uh, we see that all these iBuyers like Zillow um, going out there and buying up a lot of property. So what, I think what they we're seeing- canceled. I think Zillow actually just canceled. Zillow did just, Zillow did just cancel. Yeah, they're not yes, buying they for the rest of the year. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see oh. what happens about that in the next earnings report. But yeah. So um, I, I, think, I was just going to say, I think here inflation protection is the big one that we didn't hit on. Um, I'm wondering if you guys have takes on exactly what goes into that. From my point of view, it's probably just the supply, right? Because all of the raw materials needed to build the house. Um, and the labor, you know, you're dealing with lumber, you're dealing with paint, even, you know, even paint is, uh, is subject to inflation right now. So I feel like, you know, as the prices for those raw materials goes up, they're already in your, in your house, in your fixed assets. So the price can rise with it. I, I think another reason we're seeing prices rise so much recently is because there's been, I don't know the exact figures on this, but there has been a lot less new construction than new home buyers entering the market. So there's a very fixed supply and the, the supply of home buyers has increased pretty steadily. So yeah. we're either going to need to see a lot of new construction or we're going to see house prices continue to rise. Yeah. yeah I know Canada's dealt with this, you know, since 2008, uh, actually in 2008, the housing crisis really didn't hit Canada that hard. Um, and they've had a lack of supply of homes for a long time. And in this past year, they've seen a 30% increase in house prices. And, um, but the thing is, there was no drop. And there, there was a small drop, but there was no major drop in housing prices in 2008 in Canada like there was in the US. So what Canada saw is early 2000s, they saw home prices going up and up and up. And in 2008, little blip, but they just kept on going up. Like it was like, you know, they didn't really blink. Um, so they're experiencing something that the U.S. could experience in five to 10 years if we don't start building a lot of homes. So there is a major lack of supply. And also part of the reason for that is, you know, you have all these millennials who are getting to the age where they're probably going to be buying homes. 
And there's there's been market surveys that have been talking about this for years now, worrying about exactly what we're dealing with. Uh, there's going to be a lack of supply of homes. All these millennials are going to be getting to the age where they're going to be buying homes and there's going to be no homes. Um, and that's kind of what we're dealing with right now. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Zane. I was just going to say the lack of supply of homes. I mean, it almost feels like there's this push for um, private equity firms to go out and buy up all these homes, knowing that there's not going to be a lot more produced. So they control the supply uh, and people are forced to rent from them. That's just kind of the feeling right now for me. So one crazy thing about that is there is there's an idea out there that BlackRock and all these people are buying tons of homes and that oh, you have to buy it from you know a big firm or something like that. But actually, iBuyers and places like BlackRock, they make up less than 1% of home sales in the past okay. year, of, or home buys. So it's really not as big as people think it is, um, but it definitely contributes to it. That's why we keep you around. Fact check me. <laughs> Another thing that I've seen in the news recently is that more than ever, millennials are buying homes with people who are not their spouse or their family member. So you see groups of friends coming together to buy homes, um, people who wouldn't normally in a traditional world buy homes together, but because of this lack of supply and how expensive homes are getting, you see more and more um, non-family members coming together to buy homes together. Yeah, that sounds kind of risky to me. I mean, it seems like it could end up poorly for sure. (laughs) Like buying a house with your girlfriend before you're married. (laughs) <laughs> yeah there's um what was it? where was i going with this um golly, i don't know i can't remember what i was talking about well i uh i had another question for for mitchell um i think you know in the future we're gonna see uh a lot of prefab homes become the norm we'll see if we get there but i think with with 3d printing um and automation we're gonna be able to prefab um, homes it's a uh, like prefabricated. So homes that are made in a factory, like literally cookie cutter, you can kind of order them how you want. um, But they're like trailers almost, but just nicer. Yeah. But their Amazon was selling them. I think you would think it's a trailer, but a lot of them now are bigger. Some are even two stories. Um, But then they'll basically ship this, this home out, put it on the foundation. And there you go instead of dealing with the weather and building it on site. Um, I have no idea what the value is like for them, if the value holds up over time. Um, but even, you know, we got to mention NFTs and Tesla and everything. So here's Elon living in uh, Texas in his little prefabricated home. I forget what the company's name is, but it's like, I think it's like two bedroom and, you know, it's basically the size of a trailer. Well, from my limited experience in the mortgage industry, we have done, we've done one mortgage on a modular home is what they call it. Okay. Um, So I haven't seen it creeping up in my specific market a lot, but I could definitely see if real estate prices continue to increase, um, it becoming a more affordable option. Um, So rather than going out, getting a real estate agent, looking for houses, talking to a builder about new construction, you can just hop online order a house and have it show up to your new address. That seems pretty convenient to me for sure. I think like years ago, I heard about Alibaba doing that. I don't know if they, they did, or maybe that was a rumor that I heard. Um, I think I, I thought I saw Amazon was doing something like that too. So maybe we have the same story. We just 
different companies. Yeah, I'm sure they both, both tried at some point. Yeah, that would be crazy. That would be a perfect example of how automation might drive some deflation in the housing market. That would be perfect for a lot of people right now. That would be great. I think we might be on the lookout for uh, modular home trailer park kind of situations. <laughs> yeah, we might be We might have to live in trailers when we graduate. Who knows? I hope not. Um, if Dave Ram, saying, if Dave Ramsey has, has scared me, of one thing it's probably trailer parks. <laughs> Zane, open us up on uh, the Evergrande crisis. Yeah, definitely worth mentioning. Uh, Debatably the biggest news in real estate right now because people are comparing it to the 2008 financial crisis and saying uh, it started the same way. Um, this is the largest real estate developer uh, in China and they're struggling right now. They're struggling because they have a huge debt load. Um, and Connor, I believe you're saying they're struggling to, to um, take on more debt and raise money to service the debt that they have now. Uh, so that looks like they're going to default on their payments. And the problem with that is if uh, the cycle continues and they do go bankrupt, this is uh, even larger than, you know, the Lehman Brothers bankruptcy that, that we had here in the U.S. So uh, some of the stats here on the left, we have one and a half million unfinished properties. Um, the share price for Evergrande has already dropped 85%. Um, and they're already predicting a 75% haircut for the bondholders. That means they're going to come out and say, hey, we can't pay you back everything, but uh, we'll give you 25% of what we owe you. Um, so that's going to make a lot of people angry for sure. And there's just so much of China's real estate tied into this company. It's, uh, it could cause a pretty bad downward, downward spiral. Yeah, uh, they, they, earlier this week, I believe they tried to sell 51% of their equity for two to $3 billion. Um, and the deal didn't go through. And as you can see there, you know, if you're watching on YouTube, but if you're listening, they have $305 billion in debt and they tried to sell over half of their company for two and a half billion. That spells trouble. Um, <laughs> but so Connor, what's, what's the rationale behind? Is that just trying to get as much money as they can before they go out of business or what do you I, think? I'm not sure what the rationale is. I'm sure that they're trying to service some of the debt that they have. Um, obviously, you know, they're cutting their, their, uh, bond yields um but yeah i would assume that they're just trying to pay out their their debt that they have so i don't know china could be forcing them into doing it too who yeah. knows you never know yeah. what's going on over there um but the one and a half million dollar or one and a half million unfinished properties um china will probably just blow them all up right mitchell i've seen some videos of lots of buildings going down <laughs> so i don't know whether it's related to evergrande or not but kind of scary stuff going on don't worry, they can build them back in a week. Exactly. I'll just take out more loans, right? Did you see that hospital during COVID? They built it in like two weeks. Or two. Yes. yes. Yeah, it was in it was in Wuhan, wasn't it? I think so. But yeah. it was insane. I think it I think it actually collapsed, which is awful. But um the the construction speed was insane. I can't imagine. Was, any, it was, was there anybody quality. inside? I don't know. I don't know the full story. Oh. Anything built in two weeks probably won't be the highest quality construction, but yeah, whatever it takes. Take that into account when you're trying to buy an automated home. I think the biggest <laughs> takeaway for me from the Evergrande thing, it seems like the people who are in charge of the decision-making almost have ADD. Like they'd get started with a project 
see a flashy new project and then just totally ditch that one and go start on another project. And that cycle just continued and continued and continued until they ended up with $300 billion in debt and one and a half million unfinished properties. Yeah, they're just so over leveraged that, you know, the actual cash flows and the value accrual from the properties that they have is just not even there to start servicing the debt that they're taking on. So we'll see, maybe, maybe the government bails them out. Maybe they don't. It's a tough precedent to set, especially on this scale, but we'll see. Yeah. I think we'll have to see a bailout of some sort, right? I think, um, yeah, I think, I think they might get bailed out, especially over in China with how much economic control the government has. But you know, Um, it's probably, it's probably in the, government's best interest to just say, okay, uh, we'll, you know, help you pay your debt or whatever, but we need to take over some of these homes. And then the state would have a lot of property as well. Yeah, for sure. I can Does anybody have a figure of what they have in like assets currently, just to see what the ratio is? Of- uh, well, they have total assets in billions of yuan, which I don't have the, uh, the translation right now yeah okay well, got yeah i don't know i don't know what it is i can't read that i can't it's probably can't not a good looking figure probably not love jamie pull that up i think um to be honest i think i think the Evergrande thing was a little bit blown out of proportion i remember the week that it dropped everyone was like oh my goodness it's lehman brothers oh my goodness we're going into a crisis and then you know a couple weeks later nobody's talking about it so Honestly, I think it's one of those things that'll just blow over. I, I really don't think it's going to have that big of an impact on the U.S. Yeah. Or, you know, in general. So, yeah. You know, what's crazy is it almost seems like if people try to see it coming, like, you know, take COVID for an example. Um, it's, you know, if you don't see it coming, it could be a lot worse. But if you are like, oh, you know, this could be the outcome. Watch for this. It never actually happens. If people are prepared for it, you know, it doesn't actually happen because why would it? It's always yeah. about, you know, something happens out of nowhere unexpectedly. I think there's a fine line there too, because a lot of times fear is this self-fulfilling prophecy, especially in markets. So you start to get these ideas that something's going to happen. People panic, they sell stuff. People see prices go down, they continue to sell. So it can kind of go one of two ways. It can either prepare you and kind of tell you what not to do, or it can become the self-fulfilling. Yeah. That market crash prophecy. Yeah, perfect example of that. Their share price down 85%. Now, you know, to Connor's point, they're raising equity at such a cheap valuation compared to what they were just months ago. So it puts them in between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. All right. So let's move on from this nothing story, in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about REIT analysis. Um, Free cash flow is king. That's where your dividends are paid from and dividends are what make your investment, especially when you're talking about REITs. Um, so when you're doing your analysis, you know, I don't care what you do, um, make sure that you're looking at free cash flow and you're trying to see increases there. So yeah, that's it. I would it agree. That. Yeah. Is there a specific like percentage of free cash flow you like to see, or do you just like to see year over year increases? I like to see year over year growth. Um, if they're able to pay out their dividends, then that's that's good with me. And if their dividends are increasing, their free cash flow is increasing, it's great. You know, obviously you want to make an investment where that dividend is worth it for you. Um, but 
Yeah. And obviously you want to make sure it's an overall solid company. Bottom line is if their dividends are shrinking, stay away, especially if it's a REIT. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if you look at like COVID or something like that, right. Obviously, you know, black swan event, that's going to be totally change things. But if you're in a good market, yeah, you shouldn't be expecting that and you should not want to see that at all. So, um, Zane, you know, hit us with your, hit us with your, uh, two REIT picks. Yeah. Let me enlighten you guys on some money-making stock picks. So <laughs> given that I don't know real estate too much, um, I just have two that I really like. Now, both of these were actually pitched um, in the investment club that I'm in. Stag went through, meaning that the club liked it and it is now part of our portfolio. Cyrus One did not, which I voted yes on it, but I'm surprised that it didn't go through. Uh, what Stag does is uh, invest in industrial uh, properties, mostly like warehouses. That's their big money. I believe Amazon, they own a bunch of Amazon warehouses, um, big national chains. Uh, and I think that's a great market to be in because it's not going to go away. I mean, e-commerce is growing and growing and growing. Uh, consumer demand is just growing and growing. Um, so I, I think, you know, the default risk on warehouse properties um, is going to be low because you're always going to have a tenant in them. And the thing is, there's a huge switching cost saying, oh, you know what? I'm going to rent this warehouse from you. Oh, never mind. Now you have to take everything in your warehouse and move it somewhere else. Um, it's, it's just pretty sticky. And then Cyrus One is a data center REIT. Uh, this, I like it a lot because you're dealing with um, some big tech companies uh, and also an area that's expanding a lot. You know, the cloud is not just like this ethereal thing that exists somewhere. You actually have to store all your data on servers, whether it's Apple, Microsoft, Facebook, um, and companies need secure physical locations to do that. So Cyrus One will build out these data centers and rent them to uh, customers. I believe it's 50% of their revenue comes from just um, two of the biggest uh, five players in the space, which are uh, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, you know, like kind of the fan companies, Google. So that's kind of a risk for them being so exposed to those couple companies. But overall, I think Going into the future, data centers are a place to be. Yeah. If you look at, I mean, Apple being potentially, I, I don't know if Apple was one of the major two players um, that uses them for cloud storage, but like if you look at what Apple did with their chips, you know, they went out and made their own chips after they had been using Intel's for years. Um, I do wonder if they might start building data centers themselves, which would be a major concentration risk uh, for Cyrus One, but could potentially be really good too. So. We all know Apple's got the cash to do it. They do. They do indeed. They've got all the cash in the world, seems like. So um, cash flow. <laughs> Zane, do you know what the typical leases are for these commercial or the warehouse properties? Connor and I were talking about this earlier, and I didn't know if you had an idea. Yeah, you know, I had it in my head when, when they pitched, um, but I, I don't want to say a number because I'm scared that I'm going to be too far off, but... Um, you know, I think part of the reason that all of our listeners them, will correct you anyways, <laughs> I think um, part of the reason that I liked them in the first place was that they had long-term contracts, like so longer that, than standard, you know, retail commercial space. Could that possibly be an area of concern depending on which way inflation goes? 
So oh, if you're, you're starting into, off my point, Mitchell, sorry, you're stealing Connor. it. <laughs> I know, I know. We were talking about it earlier and it's just been on the top of my mind. So um, just depending on, so if say you're locked into a 15 year lease and then inflation goes higher than whatever your agreed to percentage increase on that lease is, could that be a, a cause for concern? Yeah, I mean, it definitely could, but it's all about the contracts. I, I don't remember, honestly, if they had any provisions for um, like, you know, expected rent increases with inflation or anything like that. But yeah, totally a valid concern. Also, Connor, thanks for look, making me look smart there. Appreciate you. <laughs> so anyways, I'll move into um, my picks, which aren't actually REITs. Um, it's Marriott and Airbnb. And this goes to the point where, you know, what Mitchell was just talking about, um, where long-term contracts could potentially be harmful for businesses uh, with inflation. Uh, so if you're, we're experiencing five, 6% inflation on the year, you know, that's obviously going to drive up costs for businesses. They have long-term contracts, um, or if it's just, you know, difficult for them to change the prices of their leases, uh, then it could be harmful for them. Um, so Marriott, it's been around for a long time. It's hotel business. They can just change the prices of the room at any time they want. They can change it the next day, uh, which is you know a great inflation hedge. Airbnb, same thing. You've got a lot of different owners. Um, so one of the reasons that I really like Airbnb, um, and it's not really a real estate thing, it's a management thing, is that it's found, founder-led Brian Chesky. Um, I, I think he's a phenomenal CEO. They've got pretty high operating expenses. Um, if you look at their gross margins, they're around, I think they're close to 80%. And then if you look at their operating margin, that's like negative a lot. I don't know exactly what it is. Um, so they've got a lot of operating expenses that they need to cut down, um, but they're a young company. And I think that they've got some really, really strong competitive advantages. Uh, so, you know, Marriott, I'm not in love with Marriott as much as I am with Airbnb. I think Airbnb could be you know, a great stock to own in the future. Marriott could be a good inflation play. Y'all are on TikTok too. There's a lot of Airbnb savants on there. So I've learned how much on Airbnb make on Airbnb on TikTok. Yeah, a lot, that could, of, that lot of humble brags out there. We, we, should, have, we should have made that a, a talking point for today. It's Airbnb investments. This would have been a perfect time to transition to that, but we didn't prepare for it. <laughs> this is the real estate company that owns no real estate. Yes, exactly. Keep it lean. So, yeah. They just get to capitalize off of all the benefits of real estate. Dude, they're yeah. going to capitalize off the, all the dang fees I got to pay every time I book an Airbnb. It's like, that's hey. Why just, that's why you just stay at the Marriott, Connor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you, you go to book a room and it's like $100 a night. And then you get done and it's $200 a night. You're like, man, I can't afford this. There's a, there's a cleaning <laughs> fee. There's a servicing fee. There's a, mm -hmm. we've got cameras watching you inside fee. <laughs> well, that's how I'm going to start. If I get into real estate, like kind of to your point, Mitchell, just run out of room Airbnb or, or something like that. Yeah. The nice thing about that is you can make a lot more money because you're renting much more short term too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've always thought a vacation rental would be something, you know, for me that would be enjoyable to have because, you know, God willing, if I make enough money to have a vacation rental in the future, you know, that it would be something that where your family could go on vacation and you could also just rent it out in the meantime. And obviously that's the dream. You got to make sure you pick the right one. Um, but, and, and it also allows you, if you can book it, 
like it allows you to get something pretty nice if you can get the loan for it. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of the expensive rent though, I uh, will likely be in New York over the summer. So Mitchell, if you have tips on uh, getting rent under like $3,000, that would be, I don't think you have a chance. (laughs) That'd be amazing. But uh, yeah. You want to move on to the take the week? Yeah. Take the train from like, I don't know your house from my house here <laughs> I, would, I would live in five Queens. hours a day yeah so um mitchell do you want to hold on we moved we moved too far here mitchell tell me tell me a little bit about uh your REIT pick yeah so when i was researching what REIT i wanted to pick i kept coming back to the idea of healthcare. um but i ended up deciding on amt which is american tower corporation it's one of the, uh, the biggest REITs out there. It's got $125 billion market cap. Um, their profit margin is right at 25%. Um, and just kind of what they do is they own the real estate that a lot of cell towers are on. Um, I think they own around 200,000 cell tower properties throughout the United States and abroad. Um, so I could see as we continue to move to 5G and more and more people continue to buy phones. Um, You see iPads have LTE, 5G coverage now. Um, The more that we transition to this data-driven world, the more value a company like AMT is gonna provide. So they're basically the infrastructure behind 5G is how I would put it simply. Okay, I like that pick. Until Starlink comes along. Yeah, that is <laughs> no. definitely a cause for concern. No, but but actually, though, I like that point, that pick. And um, I think it's been circling around the foolish investing universe as well, Connor. I don't know if you've seen it. Yeah, I saw it a couple of years ago, actually. It was one of their many emails that I received. <laughs> and it was like, you know, our favorite pick for this year, blah, blah, blah. And, and I wasn't I wasn't subscribed to that service at the time that it was released on. And so I just copied everything. I should not be, never mind. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> so, anyways, um, I think that's a good pick. Um, AMT, another, yeah. Another, just one last point is that their dividend has grown on average over 20% per year since 2012. So, you're kind of wow. talking about that free cash flow which turns into a strong dividend. Um, I just kind of cut straight to the chase and the dividend has grown very well and very consistently over the last nine years. Yeah, that's incredible. I feel like that's hard to make a, make a bear case for that company at all. Yeah. Seems like, except Starlink. What, what is Starlink? I don't think I, I know anything about that. Zane probably knows more than I do. Satellite, internet beam down from satellites. That's SpaceX. Okay. Basically it's universal off. Wi-Fi. Yeah. Free yeah. Wi-Fi anywhere you go. It's that mean. Interesting. It means I can finally check my phone at a UGA football game. <laughs> <laughs> Wonder if we're going to be able to uh, buy real estate in space anytime soon. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? Uh, I think it's so. I have a real estate class I'm taking right now. And we recently talked about people trying to buy plots on the moon. And I think there's something about the space race we agreed that nothing in space can be bought by a person 
Interesting. I don't know the exacts behind that, but I'm pretty sure buying stuff in space is off limits. Hmm. So you can't be a, a landowner on the moon, but you can be a landowner in, I think it's Scotland. It, there's like a company that yeah. will give you like a one by one square foot plot of land, and then it gives you the title of Lord. So you could be Lord <laughs> Connor and Lord Mitchell of, of Scotland, or maybe Ireland, wherever it is. I, I how much that is. It's a, it's a common like birthday gift that I've seen. That's funny. That's funny. I'd like to be Lord. My name just doesn't fit that though. Like if my name was John or something, that would be nice. Lord Lord John, but Lord Connor sounds way way too twenty first century for that. Lord Zane has a nice ring to it. Lord Zane does fit. You should go buy you a track of land. <laughs> so let's move on to this tweet. Um, Zane, you picked this out this week. Yeah, I picked the tweets. Um, I thought this, you know, not much to say. I just thought this um, really highlighted what's going on in the market, um, especially, you know, the past couple of months in, in the height of the real estate frenzy, low supply, high demand, um, you know, houses selling before they're even on the market um, and, you know, people coming in with the first bid over ask and, and things like that. Yeah, Mitchell, you probably dealt with a lot of this you know, yeah, we, we've seen this a lot in our industry. You, you have these listing prices um, and then it just turns into a bidding war. And the danger there is that these properties are selling for so much more than they're actually worth when it comes time for the appraisal. If they don't appraise at that value, then we can't secure a loan on that property because if they default on it, we don't have enough to cover the loan. So Slowly over time, you see appraisals kind of catch up and that's what causes additionally housing prices to rise. Um, but at the beginning, we saw a lot of appraisals coming short. That's interesting. I know there's a theory of efficient markets in the stock market, um, which we've talked about before, which is basically saying that the markets value things correctly over time and that they're, oh, and some people believe in the theory of efficient markets and some people don't. I'm a believer that it's always working towards it. Um, so, you know, you do wonder whether having this frenzy out there in real estate right now is kind of breaking that, you know, theory of efficiency, especially in real estate. So, yeah, let's move on here. Got to talk about Tesla. <laughs> yeah, not again, not much to say. Just interesting how developments like this in the economy, you know, jobs coming somewhere or maybe like a new hub of innovation. Uh, perfect example is Austin, Texas right now uh, with the new Tesla factory coming online. Um, it seems a lot of people are going from California to Texas, pissing off the Texans who are saying, don't California my Texas. But Silicon Valley, I you think know. I think a lot of the innovation um, could, be, could be moving into Austin. So it's an interesting trend to watch and housing prices are soaring for sure. I wonder how much of that, I wonder if this is kind of a, like, I wonder how much of this is actually due to the Gigafactory and how much of it is due to real estate prices rising, you know? Yeah, it's hard to know. I don't know how much I would attribute directly to this one project, but maybe more just what's going on in Austin. Austin has been booming for the last probably 10 years now. Mm -hmm. You've seen a lot of LA to Austin movement. So when the money comes in, the prices go up. Yeah. Yeah. Could be a combination. It's probably a lot of jobs for there too. 
hopefully not in the future. Hopefully there's no jobs in this factory in the future. It's just fully automated. We can get to buy a Tesla for $10,000. That'd be nice. <laughs> we can dream, right? Yeah, we can dream. Um, and then this lastly, just to close up, um, for those listening, I forgot to read out the last tweet for those not on YouTube, but um, I'll read this tweet. So I have to accept that full-time real estate investors will beat me 90% of the time. They'll find more deals, better broker connections, better contractors, raise more money. I invest to build wealth, not as a career, but that's why patience is key. There are small windows I can win. So Mitchell, if you're, if you're talking about investing in real estate to build wealth versus as a career, you know, what is that line? I think the biggest thing is just getting started. Like you said, 90% of the time, that full-time real estate investor is going to be able to offer more than you, find a better deal before you can, so on and so forth. But the key thing is if, if you have the money and you find a deal, just get your foot in the door. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to fit beautifully in your spreadsheet. Um, the only way you can lose in real estate is not being in real estate, in my opinion. Well yeah, said. We're getting so leveraged that you just can't handle it anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's that's danger. Not starting or doing way too much. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. All about I, that. I, I do wonder if doing it as a career is slightly more risky than doing it to build wealth, though, because if you're doing it as a career, that's what you're relying on for money. Um, so you might be buying deals that you really shouldn't be buying because you're not patient enough because that is what you do every day. So that could be something to worry about yeah. too. So yeah. there any, any further thoughts before we close I this do, up? I do have one disclaimer about my dividend comment. I don't know. I, I didn't make a very good note when I copied it down. So I don't know if it's your own 20% total since 2012 or 20% year over year. But if someone wants to fact check that for me, I'll, I'll happily take that I was wrong on that. But still, <laughs> it's grown. Yeah, and that's what you like to see. Yeah, we, yes. We like to see the honesty too. Yeah, but I had to uh, one out. yeah, I think that <laughs> wraps it up for me. Unless you guys have anything, um, if you're listening, don't forget to check out StockCard.io. We're coming up on their feature week next week, I believe. So there should be a lot of uh, tweets from them uh, and other posts from them featuring us and our channel. Um, the promo code will be in the description for that. So thanks for listening in, and hope to see you all next week.